As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, guys. You know what time it is. We're talking about our sponsor on the show, MyBookie. It is the absolute best way for you to put sports bets down online. It's easy. Uh, it's easy to get paid. It's a great website, fun to use. Um, you know, I use it myself. We use it here on the show all the time when we look at lines. Uh, if we want to do a little cheeky parlay or something, uh, I promise if you go to my bookie, use our code, you won't be disappointed. Uh, and the great thing about using our code, not only do you help us out as a show, you're going to get free stuff out of it. You're going to get $25 bonus cash, excuse me. You're going to get a deposit match uh, on $100 or more. So all you got to do is head over to my bookie. Uh, when you register, use our code SHARK25. Uh, that's going to open up all those great benefits to you. Um, and I promise you're going to enjoy using it. So just remember, on my bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. It's that simple. Uh, and we really appreciate it if you use our code. Thanks. All right, let's go on to the show. Welcome to Landshark's After Dark, your weekly dispatch from the dystopian reality that is Ole Miss Athletics. Switching it up, had a late in the week episode last week. Absolute opposite here, recording on a Sunday, uh, primarily so that we can uh, get our, our better half here on the show back involved, even from uh, afar. That's right, we got John Stefanczyk with us all the way from Germany. Is that right, John? How's that going? Yep. Hey, Vitter gets canned, and we got to come on and talk about the second of the three. Is uh, well, Vitter's reassigned. He's effectively fired. Let, let's, let's. I mean, I don't think anybody cares. You can explain that more detail. If he's Vitter is a, is a professor, anymore. I don't think anybody cares, right? I mean, the, the no, chancellor role is all that matters. Yeah, he probably is. Is quite. He's a computer scientist. I'm sure he's very qualified. Ole Miss is, uh, you know computer programming and all that kind of stuff is 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 nascent the, the program could probably use a good professor so that's great uh but yeah his 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 rule as chancellor comes to an end uh well he's kind of a lame duck for the next couple of months is that right and then it'll be out first of the year yeah they basically because there's an ihl meeting in jackson next week of course or this week i guess or all the yeah, sound, it seems like they wanted to get this out of the way prior to the meeting they know they wanted to do it. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. It's been reported on. I think McCready at Rebel Grove had this scoop a while ago. Um, so props to him, I guess. You know, must have some Pro- sources. Props in to Re- Frankly, I, I kind of started thinking. I mean, Rebel Grove noted the smoke. I guess anybody local would have would have gotten wind of this. It, I mean, helpful yeah, to me. I, I think it was definitely coming out of Jackson, away. if that makes sense. So, like, it, there's a lot of Ole Miss news that comes out of Oxford. Uh, this, if you, if you listen to the show, we've talked about the IHL at length, especially a few years back when the IHL made the decision to remove Dan uh, Dan Jones, that was kind of a big talking point here on the show, but basically what you have to know, if you're not familiar, Ole Miss doesn't have a board of trustees or a board of regents, like a lot of big universities do. Every school in Mississippi is governed by this group called the IHL. Um, you know, it, it will save the debate for another time. Uh, obviously not ideal for Ole Miss to be, 
um, administrated by a group that isn't necessarily just looking out for the interest of one school, but more wants parity among all the Mississippi schools. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. This is the group that decided to fire Dan Jones to, to hire Vitter. Uh, and now they've decided to, to get rid of Vitter and they will be in charge of picking his replacement as well. Um, I mean, what was your first reaction? You said two of the three are down. Explain to people what you mean by that. Well, I mean, this is, I think a lot of this thought has calmed, frankly, over the past year or so, but during the heat of the whole NCAA investigation and the day-to-day debacle of communication risk management, I mean, we kind of had the three stooges develop free, well, the three hostages, hostages and right. hostage and Vitter, Bjork, and Freeze. Freeze went down in quite the uh, dramatic fashion. Yeah, I mean, he I th- did it to I, himself. Yeah, I th- frankly, I think when we first found out about the uh, basically the the whole escort affair thing, that was kind of a left turn surprise. I figured yeah. he would have. Interesting that he didn't get fired for NCAA reasons, but they had to go down that road. Um, Vitter, you know. Was Vitter really a bad chancellor on paper, or how much of this, or was this 100% PR? Well, I can give you. I'll pull you some uh, some statistics. I think it's because... actually. I think it's. I think it's actually worth kind of just no, talking I think... through that because this isn't. It's he wasn't as mechanically awful in some respects as what he's made out to be. But well, see, here's the thing. I think a lot of people are getting hung up on. Uh, you know the the he's a dork and the NCAA stuff and the football stuff, but there is actual uh declining things you can point to with university. And so I'm citing Mississippi Today, a uh, great nonprofit journalism outfit here, uh, based actually out of the same office park that I work in. Um, Adam Gancho, who's an old Miss fan and uh, actually like a real great reporter, uh, doing good work here on the Mississippi beats. Um. He tweeted about this. It's written by Arnold Nave, who's their executive editor. Uh, basically, what you need to know uh, from Gancho is that, obviously, enrollment was down. We've talked about that on the show. That's not necessarily just on Vitter, right? These things are – these macro trends. How, how down was it? Were we talking 2%, 5%? Uh, it's a, it's a great point. It's a great question. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I'll tell you what he tweeted. He says uh, – Enrollments decreased two straight years. Minority enrollment is down. Private donations have also tanked. So I don't know exactly what his uh, his source is on the private donations. I'm not sure if Ole Miss has to publish that information or not. Uh, but he follows it up and says, Big donors and political allies of Ole Miss have been in the ears of the state's college board for months about Vitter. Uh, Ole Miss has many factions of influence. All of those factions have problems with Vitter leadership from day one. Uh, these donors almost always place academics and athletics on equal footing. On equal footing, Vitter's cooperation with NCAA during its years-long football investigation was a key reason of pressure on the IHL board. So you have to think back uh, when the NCAA released their ruling, and it included that quote from Vitter about the culture of corruption. Um, I, I think that has to be something that was prominent in the mind of these said boosters. Um, but you couple that with the fact that there are these declining uh, academic indicators, whether it's enrollment or minority enrollment. And then, uh, you know, I'll take him at his word about private donations being down. I think all of that provided plenty of cover for them to make what I, I mean, I think is a justified move. Let, let's just, just think back because we talked about it at the time, but how ridiculous is it that the chancellor of Ole Miss, for whatever reason, whether the NCAA asked him to, or he volunteered this information, went on the record and said that that Ole Miss has a culture of corruption among the boosters. Why would you ever? Why would you ever admit that? Why would you ever say that? It, it, that's crazy. It, you know, it, it really well, is. Well, what I'm really being reminded of 
is that I've I've really had submissed in my mind just how bad he was. And then now as I start thinking about it, I go, you know what? Holy cow. I think he's a, probably a good professor, understands academia, the, the textbook side of it. Mm-hmm. But he never made any sense from a chancellor standpoint. A just from he he didn't fit social Miss socially at all, and then B from a athletic tactic standpoint was completely incompetent. Yeah, um, and, and I I'm not gonna say that he didn't have support among the professors, but I also haven't seen that. You know, in the wake of this, I haven't seen professors standing up and saying this is outrageous. He's an amazing academic chancellor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think, like you said, he's probably well-suited for a job in research and teaching, which is what he was doing uh, before he started getting into this university administration stuff. This is the first school he's ever been, you know, the head guy at. Um, You have to think back and wonder how much of his appointment had to do with him coming from the political family in Louisiana that probably had allies uh, in the state government here in Mississippi. I I don't know. I don't really know exactly why they thought he was going to be a good pick. Um. So I'm clicking through some more articles here, trying to find the exact enrollment numbers. Uh, so let's see. Um, a 2016 to 2017 accreditation report states African Americans made up 9.4 percent. This is just of journalism enrollment. Uh, well, sorry, that was that was okay. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So nine. So let's see. 13.5 percent of the university enrollment uh, was black in 2016, 2017. And that's down from 14.4% the year before. So slight decline there. Um, sorry, these articles aren't super clear. Because this, this stuff is going back to uh, the Meek stuff. Which I'm not sure we ever actually talked about on the show. Maybe just kind of briefly. All the Ed Meek controversy. But I think I, I think Vitter handled that okay. But I think it was kind of just another... It was another national embarrassment that kind of happened on his watch. I mean, in, in the end, they made the right move. They took the name off journalism school. All that stuff. Uh, I think Vitter rebuked Meek uh, on Facebook, but but still, I don't know. I just don't think people – I think we talked about this in the past, but I think people on both sides of Ole Miss, whether you're you know, a bring-back Colonel Reb guy uh, or whether you're let's get rid of the name Ole Miss altogether, you know, those are kind of the two extremes. There's lots of people in the middle. But I, I kind of think he didn't really have allies on either side because you know he, he heads up this contextualization effort <coughs> – um, adding the plaques to the statues, all of that, that's enough to, to piss off the Confederate statue crowd. Uh, but then on the other side, he was criticized for not going far enough. I mean, he made comments about um, New Orleans did things the right way, or New Orleans didn't do things the right way by taking down their statues, et cetera, et cetera. I just think you you either need to be so slick that you can appeal to both sides like someone like a kayak would do, uh, but if you're not able to pull that off, you should probably go far enough in one direction or the other to actually have some people support you. I just think he was so lukewarm that no one ever really defended him because he didn't really ever really fire anybody up. I, I don't I don't think he really inspired anybody uh, across the aisle in the university. And you know, if you're listening to this, you think this is outrageous, and you're a student at Ole Miss or you're a professor at Ole Miss, and you support Vitter, I would love to hear that side of the story. I just like I said, I haven't haven't heard it. I haven't heard people. Defended him. Nothing we don't like know any, we don't know anyone that supports him better. Nothing like Dan Jones. If you remember Dan Jones, it was it, immediately within the response to him being ousted. There was a huge wave of support from students, from faculty, from boosters. Uh, I just you know living in Mississippi, I, I think I would see that if there was a, if there was a huge wave of that. I need to talk to more people. This obviously happened on a Friday. 
Um, I'm, I'm interested in talking to some people I know that, uh, you know, are connected to big donors, of the university kind of take their temperature on this. But if I had to guess, I, I don't think they would be, uh, overly upset about this. I, I, I got the vibe that Vitter wasn't offensive enough that these, these really big name people were openly calling for him to be ousted. But at the same time, I think they'll look at you know, the way things have been going under his, uh, under his tenure. And like I said, I think some of the things he said, um, and you know, it, it's not just about football at a big school like Ole Miss, but the, it, it, it so happens that a lot of the big supporters of the academic side are also big supporters of the athletic side. And if you're going to, if you're going to paint with a broad brush and say that the athletic booster culture at Ole Miss is corrupt, I think you're going to find yourself, um, upsetting people that are going to need to support you on the academic side as well, if that makes sense. And I think that's that's partially what happened here. Does he? I'm trying to think of really who his core supporters are. I, would, I mean, if yeah. I, the only guess would be faculty and students. But like I said, I haven't haven't seen that much. Well, how did he get the job? I'm just trying to think back. Right. It's so like, that was that was my thing earlier. Is it Phil Bryant and and David Vitter being friends? His brother? I don't know. I mean, that's one theory. I wonder if it's that plus a combination of – this is just so much trying to think out loud back through it. I wonder if the IHL, which on theoretically is looking after the interests of the whole state of Mississippi, right. and Ole Miss is one of its top two institutes, really. It's I mean, right. I, mean uh, I almost hate to use the word because it's going to set off a whole other connotation, well, but flagship of the – flagship of the state i wonder if they were saying here's a guy that on paper you can just emphasize the 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 on and the paper from a pure resume standpoint had the background to kind of take i mean to go from a let's say a state centric to a recognized regional school which is kind of how i would you know to kind of heighten the elevate the academic prestige of the university, which he did improve the, I guess so is it was, it's an R1 research designation or whatever. Yeah, but see, I, mean, I think, I think this is so much Kayat. Um, a lot of what Dan Jones did was just continuing what Kayat had started. Like if you, yeah. I, I've read Kayat's book. Um, he really did so much for the university, both on building the donors and the, and the uh, endowment, but also on the academic side, he took Ole Miss from, a complete bottom tier school well into like the middle echelon of public universities. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't give, and maybe this is unfair, but I'm not going to give a ton of credit to Vitter for kind of continuing that trend that I think Kayak really laid the foundation for. All right. That's fair. But it, it, I mean, the IHL went for an outsider, which I think my first reaction after the whole Dan Jones infighting was, you know what? They went and got an outsider. I think that's, I was certainly th- I thought it was positive at the time and open to it. Turns See, I out think, the- I think it was it was more of a, a sabotage move. So if you if you follow the whole Dan Jones thing, it, the big problem the IHL had with Dan Jones was he was too defensive of the University of Mississippi as a entity and not willing to kind of uh, let the IHL do what they wanted to the medical center in Jackson as far as taking it more away from Ole Miss and making it more belonging to all the other schools. And that's kind of what they found to be the real problem. My reaction to them hiring an outsider is, okay, this is going to be a guy we can tell what to do more. This is a guy we can control that's not going to have these preconceived notions about what Ole Miss has claimed to or not, et cetera. You know what I mean? Like To me, it seems like this guy is more controllable if you're the IHL. And so I don't know what caused him to want to fire him. I have no idea. But that was my first thought when you bring in someone with no ties to the university. 
That is interesting. So the I wonder how much of our kind of background, because I, I come, I come to Ole Miss, I came to Ole Miss more as an out-of-stater than in-state. You come from sure. in-state. I wonder if it's, you know, the I almost wonder if there's some just differences in in the ideas in general of is this should should all well let me, let me ask this question to kind of better frame where I'm going with this is what should Ole Miss try to be? Should they just focus on being the best school in Mississippi, serving Mississippi? I would should hope they not. try to I be mean, should they or or should they try to go branch beyond and be a kind of a, a notable regional player? And I'm trying to draw an analogy. Should I mean mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of who a good regional brand is that kind of extends um well that extends beyond. I mean, I, mean, I mean the ideal I think would be like LSU, right? LSU is a is an amazing university outside of athletics. They kind of they, I mean you know, like the athletics aren't really related to how good they are as a school. Obviously the big difference is there's two SEC schools in Mississippi, only one in Louisiana. That gives them a huge advantage. But if you can raise your profile academically kind of in that model, I think that LSU is a national brand for more than just sports is what I mean. You know, students come to LSU from all over the country. Uh, I, I think that's the kind of school you have to want to be if you want to raise your your profile academically is recognized for research uh, in a lot of different fields, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, I think that's that's about. I mean, to me, I guess thinking. I mean, Ole Miss kind of if you focus on being the being the best of Mississippi plus a few key um, avenues outside that pro- the rest of it kind of follows. It almost seems like they've tried to branch beyond. They've tried to go take on too much the past, let's say, two or three years post Dan Jones. What do you mean? Like, what do you what are you thinking of? Uh, well, it's kind of been stated, but it's hard to explain. And this is frankly coming from the Rebel Grove podcast. And if you read some message boards and everything, this is kind of a common theme: is 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 Ole Miss has kind of lost its identity in the minds of some. And the question is, have they? And if they lost it, what was their identity? What is their identity? Right. My question would be, what is the identity that was lost? And if, if someone could present that, maybe then we could we could say yes or no. I, I feel like – I think there is a culture around Ole Miss right now of people that – I mean, and, and we're, not, we're not not contributing to this, but people that don't really know anything about what they're talking about. They don't talk to people that – our prospective students, they don't talk to people that are on faculty. They just, they read things. They jump to wild conclusions about the way things are going at the university. Um, and like I said, this is a podcast that, you know, we don't live in Oxford. We don't talk to these people, but I just, I see so much hand wringing from this larger old Miss fan base about stuff that I don't think they know anything about. These are people that are 20 or 30 years removed from a college campus. Um, and, and I think a lot of it is, is unwarranted. I don't think Ole Miss is – yeah, it's not the same Ole Miss you went to in 1980, but that doesn't mean anything good or bad just by itself, right? I mean, I think every university, if you want to continue attracting students, you have to be evolving. It's about more than just, you know, well, when I was at school there, we got blackout drunk and played Dixie, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, kids now, they want to I, – I, I'm not going to say what I think kids might want to be into, but you have to let it be their school. I guess is my point. And I'm not going to be someone that if the students are doing things on campus, I a hundred percent support that no matter what it is. And I feel like you're talking maybe about, you know, the, uh, 
reports about microaggressions, perhaps stuff like that. The stuff where they think, oh, the faculty's out of control. They're painting Ole Miss as this this terrible racist place or whatever. And I would just ask them to look at schools all over the country that have professors that do similar things, publish similar papers. I think that they're so focused on Ole Miss. They read one paper that comes out of Ole Miss and they think it's some, oh, the national media is never going to forgive us for this, blah, blah, blah. I think it's the opposite. I think when you're a school with a history like Ole Miss, to be seen as proactively talking about these things and addressing them, it's not about losing your identity. It's about not getting sucked down into the past and forever being stuck as the James Meredith school, right? Like I, I don't I don't have any problem with, uh, I guess, the identity of Ole Miss being questioned by the students and faculty at Ole Miss right now, if that makes sense. To me, that's the sign of a healthy university. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it's the place of any alumni to say what the identity should be, if that makes sense. And when we were students, I felt the same way. You know, when, when you would have people come and tell us, bring back Colonel Reb and that, that guy with the disgusting tobacco stained mustache that would come around, you know what I'm talking about? It's just like, I, I don't really care what you think. This is my school now. Uh, and I think you have to have that culture. And I would be more upset if uh, if this if getting rid of the chancellor was like Dan Jones, where every student, every faculty was so upset about this and it was being done over their heads. I just don't think that's what's happening here. I think this could be a healthy move for both the factions that want Ole Miss to move away from its past self and the people that think you know things have changed too much. I think, like I said before, everybody wanted Vitter out, so... Whatever. I, I think it's it's absolutely fine. The the question is who does the IHL get to replace him? That's kind of the million dollar question here. Could be someone worse, very conceivably. So who knows? As we talk through this, I almost just I'm I'm really just thinking it in my head. I think it's just I really think it's just as simple as everybody's frust I think the alumni base is frustrated and and hell, they don't want to come out and say it, but they're embarrassed as much as anything for just how dumb the whole NCAA thing looked. I yeah, mean, I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah, fr- frankly, frankly, that's. I mean, you say Ole Miss, they go, "Wow, they have this wild NCAA ride." So really, kind of the identity of Ole Miss is here's this this here's this sloppy group of people that can't organize. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're getting hammered by the NCAA for paying a guy 700 bucks and the chancellor's and the chancellor's coming out and saying yeah we're 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 bad we deserve all the punishment we get we have a culture of corruption and like, they had the hostage video what press a dumb conference and yep and hugh and hugh freeze is really you know frankly a, a, a shitty hypocrite in the so, eyes of of four out of five people absolutely so publicly probably nine out of ten outside of oxford mississippi and they're all going well shit you know we were yeah we were behind this guy and then he goes off and so the question is this you said two out of three gone talking about the hostage video freeze is gone vitter is gone where does that leave ross bjork does he get does he get a chance under the new chancellor is he like because i i think he has made plenty of mistakes in these last five years as well well i think you have to keep bjork at least for For continuity's sake yeah for continuity's sake i mean bjork Bjork has always been to me the toughest one to peg, and you could certainly make it. It's certainly arguable that hey, he's um, that he's as, been as incompetent as the rest of these guys. But then at the same time, has he had his hand? Has he had his hands tied? Did Dan Jones really go after an exemplary cooperation strategy and that mm-hmm. backfire? And then Freeze got all. Then Freeze ended up being Freeze, and and Vitter comes in and just doesn't understand. And Bjork's kind of caught in the middle. I mean. To be fair, I thought 
Um, I thought, the, I mean, the way Bjork went on, I mean, the Rebel Grove podcast is basically the biggest media outlet in Mississippi, or one of the biggest media outlets in Mississippi. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's true. If you look at the numbers. I, yeah, yeah, if you look at the numbers, they are. And he, and he went on there the day after the NCAA announcement, maybe it was the day of, and I thought gave a very professional and did a good job conducting an interview afterwards and hey we're moving forward etc i mean it sounded like a guy that was perfectly competent and fit for the job i mean bjork's had signs where he looks like he knows what he's doing and he's also had some signs you sit there and go what the hell mm-hmm. i mean frankly he, he did i mean the pavilion i mean pete boone started it but bjork got the pavilion built He's gotten a number of infrastructure he, he, projects. He bowled in the stadium. That was something that we were told for a long time could never happen, right? He did get that. I mean, he's gotten he's he had, he's got a number of things done, and and, and we'll I'd talk about it, we'll talk about it later. But I think he might have he might have made a really good hire in Kermit Davis. He might have. That appears to be a step in the right direction. But I mean, we we could be sitting here in two years saying, you know, Bjork is actually done has actually done a good job. He, he wasn't perfect. I mean, frankly, they hired him in his early 40s. I mean, ideally, you would probably hire a guy that was five years more experienced than Bjork that would have some other program experience, but fine. And he came in. He, Frankly, he dealt with a complete mess. I mean, the, the flip side is, do we think uh, do we think Joe Aliev or Jay Jacobs would have handled this whole thing any better given mm. the climate at Ole Miss? Probably not. That's a good question. And so much, I mean, so, so much of the limitations beyond even hands being tied by other administrators is hands being tied by being Ole Miss. You know, exactly. o- Ole Miss in a in a in a program crippling sanction period is even that much less attractive than say. Auburn or LSU, you know, someone with a with more of a profile, you see that as a coach or whatever, and you say, "Well, yeah, they're in trouble now, but I can go there and build that out." You don't really get that at Ole Miss, you know. It's when it's a dumpster fire, it's really a dumpster fire. Frankly, the biggest problem, I mean, the, all the NCAA stuff, you can go back and kind of say, you know what? I mean, B- Bjork probably handled the stuff he had the most direct control over fairly well. I think I think Vitter and Freeze had enough corruption and Dan Jones, even with his tactics, he chose, there was enough noise and all of that to where he was, you know, he maybe really wasn't his fault. The only thing that really looks bad right now to him, I'd say today is that, I mean, the Matt Luke hire is kind of like, why didn't they blow it up and start over? Let me ask this. Did, did, did his, did the Matt Luke hire was Matt Luke hired because Jeff Vitter was trying to save his job by giving the good old boys what they wanted from a head coaching perspective. I think that's the why. I think that's why he got hired. In hindsight, that's part of it. Um, it's it's hard. It's it, like I agree. All the reporting we've heard is that Bjork wanted to hire Doran from NC State, right? Which would which would have been a solid outsider, which is what the program needed by most people. To be fair to people that wanted point. Luke, I I don't think Doran would have been at Ole Miss longer than four years. I, I think it would have been just like Luke a bridge hire. My but to my be, but to be for, in in a lot of ways you needed to build the you needed to get you needed just to kind of clean the house and build the bridge that way I think I, guess. I think there'd be probably a little less pessim, pessim pessimism around uh um yeah I mean I I, I can see that I can totally everybody. see you hire Dave Doran and people feel more confident but I I think the product on the field would have been equitable or potentially even worse. 
under Doran this year because I think you would have lost some big guys even more to transfer than you did. Um, and obviously that's a dumb justification for a long-term decision. That's a completely one-year thing. Uh, but I don't know. I just, I, I, I'd be interested to see where the fan base would be if this terrible season also there's no A.J. Brown, there's no Greg Little, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know how Doran would have finished in that last signing class. I, I you know, we'll, we're going to get into talking about the Texas A&M game now. I just, it, it's so frustrating watching this program. I think most Ole Miss fans are kind of, just you don't want to give any weight to these games because you know that it's just going to break your heart if you do. I mean, another very winnable game uh, lost this week. You, you can't even blame McGriff this time. Uh, the defense did their job. They even got a touchdown on the board. You know, I, I think the if first you, time if you season. take away the garbage, the, the backdoor cover run at the end after the onside kick. Yeah. McGriff's defense gave up net 24 points. They put the offense in position to win. That's a hell of an effort. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing they've done. They did it in the uh, South Carolina game as well. And again, Longo's unit potentially injured Jordan Tamu. Uh, Couldn't get it done. They were snake bit a little bit. There were some weird moments. Uh, You know, of course, I think the very big A.J. Brown third down conversion that was negated by the Dawson Knox targeting call on a block was uh, a huge momentum swing. Um, I just, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to care that much about this team. Two games left. Uh, they could easily lose both. Finish five and seven. They could split. You know, I don't, I, I, I don't see them winning against Mississippi State. And they, their their defense is playing so well. Uh, I, they have the four losses now after losing to Bama yesterday. But I just, I don't know. Luke has two more years I, after I this, think- right? I mean, this is this is this this off season is going to be critical. Luke, Frank, frankly, I thought – I think the takeaway from the A&M game is that Luke gets his team to play hard every week. Yeah. I they are schemed poorly on yeah. both sides of the ball. Oh, sorry. Another thing I forgot to mention. Obviously, huge momentum shift when Luke Logan misses an extra point that would have tied the game in the fourth quarter. And well, a field goal, a 22-yard field goal, that was equivalent to an extra point. Right, that's, that's, that's what I mean, yeah. So that's obviously a huge momentum shift as well. All right, continue. I mean, they have talent deficiencies on the defense. They don't, I don't, and they don't really, they don't really play. Most of the time they don't play offense to kind of help out or compensate for that. Um, I, I think, it, I mean, if it's, I'm curious to see, I mean, there's been word in some circles that Luke was basically that for whatever reason, Luke, Luke kept the whole staff together. Right. Was it continuity? Was it financial? Was it, or what is it, or was it kind of a, frankly, is it kind of a cover narrative for Luke that Luke defenders use to avoid naysayers that say, why didn't you do more to overhaul the staff? I don't know. It could right. be, it wouldn't like maybe it was an excuse mechanism. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the staff this off season. And then in turn, how does that tie to, um, how they perform going forward. I mean, the the if you believe the rumor mill, it sounds like they sounds like Longo is more likely to be gone than McGriff. And McGriff's defense has been horrendous. Granted, I don't know if anybody could could really. I don't know how much more anybody would get out of him based on talent. Although I think I, the scheme. 
I don't know. I still I, I refuse to believe until it happens that Luke is going to retain McGriff after this season. It, it's just it but it boggles the mind that even be a possibility. I know people use the contract excuse, et cetera, et cetera. The athletic department has a hundred million dollar budget. I know that they've lost bowl revenue the last two years. I know that ticket sales are probably down. You have to find the money to replace McGriff, in my opinion. It's just it it's crazy talk. It, it's it's crazy. Bjork cannot go on the Rebel Grove podcast and say that they have all the financial resources to do what they need to do in football and then McGriff get retained. Well, especially when we, we think that Luke has this three-year runway before it really matters. Okay, so there's one-third through that now. To think that he wouldn't be able to change that is just crazy to me. I mean, I I can't abide that as a fan, I just I don't see how anybody can say McGriff is any better than an average at best defensive coordinator. I think he's much worse. And, and it, he's a, he's a below frankly, average coordinator. He's a below average. Yeah. Well, I don't even know why I'm trying to poly into this. He's a below average defensive coordinator. Is this, this is the first time he's ever done it and it's not working out. He is, who is he brought in? That's a difference maker. No one on the recruiting nope. side. So forget it. I, I but, think that, that has to be done. I mean, if they don't do something at DC, I'm going to be disappointed. And I mean, you can and you can say, uh, well, you know, he's recruiting through sanctions, et cetera, et cetera. L- look at who the, the offense brought in last year that looks like they're going to be solid players. You know, Elijah Moore. I mean, they recruit Scotty Phillips out of JUCO. They right, get Matt, they get Matt Corral. So you can't find the equivalent guys on defense that are good players, but they're they're being overlooked by SEC schools. Like that's your job is you have to go out and bring in someone. I mean, well we heard at the beginning of the season Cavante Ruggs. Well what has Cavante Ruggs done in the last several games? That's been fake news. He's hurt he's hurt himself and gotten penalties. That's been the Cavante Ruggs special. And this was the guy that, that McGriff was saying was going to be the future of the defense at the beginning of the year. Um you know who's his best player? Zedrick Woods, recruited basically by Laramie Tunzel as a as part of that package well, we think. Did you just acknowledge that Z Woods was a Tunsil throw-in? Did I, don't I finally know. get that? All I'm, all I'm really acknowledging is that it had nothing to do with McGriff. He's not at Ole Miss because of Leslie McGriff. <laughs> okay, good answer. That's that's cool. all I'm willing to say on that one. But it's just I, I don't I I it, it I will find it very hard to give a damn about the next two seasons of Ole Miss football if Luke doesn't put his stamp on the program this offseason. That doesn't just mean replacing Longo with somebody that's going to do more power running. I mean, you have to instill a different culture on the defensive side. And also, you can't tell me that replacing McGriff would be some huge morale blow to the team. I don't think they're stupid. I think they know what happens on the field. They see this. They, I think they would welcome a different change in direction when it comes to defensive coaching. I, I can't believe that they wouldn't. That would be crazy. Here's what's interesting. I was just realizing this uh like you know, you know, CBS pops up the uh, they put the overall record and the conference record next to each other on the Telegraph, uh-huh. and by virtue of playing their four non cons all early in the season, right, um, and beating Texas Tech, which was a, a, a decent win. Yeah. I don't know what they're at right now, but they're they've been fine. They're they're at least a and they um, lost they lost to Texas in the last play last night. Yeah, they're a respectable team. Kingsbury's going to come back another year. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Is that they, based on their schedule, and they did go out and beat Texas Tech, they get that, is they're, they've been able to stay above five, at or above 500 the whole year. Mm-hmm. Because until, they did that. Now, they're 5-5 they're five and five now, right? Yeah. And if they beat Vandy this weekend, mm-hmm. then they're going to never go below 500 for the year. 
yet for for all of that, I mean, we were talking about they could be the worst six and two team in the history of football. They beat Auburn, which they didn't beat Auburn. But I mean, for all of that, they seem to. I mean, Luke has kind of benefited from record optics all year. Is where I'm trying to go with this. Right. Yeah, everybody's still very, I'd say, you know, minimally interested in the program. It's more about what can they do, I mean, to get excitement into the fan base. I don't know. I mean, what is, what do we want, what do we want from Luke over the next 90 days? Or what do we want from the program over the next 90 days? Well, That's probably what... I, have, I have no idea what's going to happen with this recruiting class. Um, I don't necessarily think they've made big inroads with the on-the-field performance. I have no idea. Give Luke credit. I think he closed well last season. Maybe he can do it again this season. Do we think on-the-field performance really matters? Well, I know that I know that there were some class. guys. I know there were some guys they were going after in the state of Mississippi uh, that at least said that. They said they met. They, you know, it might just be an excuse. They know Ole Miss isn't going to win eight games. They don't want. They want to leave the state, so they set some expectation that gives them an out. Right? I have no idea. Um, but for me, it, the most important thing is the coaching staff changes. Um, happy to see Longo go, uh, replace him with someone that has more experience at this level, perhaps, uh, someone that fits more closely with what Luke wants to do on offense and, and just for the love of God, make changes on the so, defense. So, so let's hit it real quick. The, the, I mean, one of the rumors is Dan Warner, Dan right. Warner, right. He, he, he hires Dan Warner. What do you think? I'm not. I, I don't react to that really in any way, positive or negative. Um, I basically I welcome a change from Longo at that point and say, well, Dan Werner was the offensive coordinator uh, for some good teams. You know, I don't know how much credit you want to give him or Freeze. Freeze was kind of known as a play calling head coach, um, but it, at least Werner has been there before. Would be my reaction. I think. Um... You know, we kind of we were saying earlier. Ideally, they would have cleaned house after. Uh... You know, after last year, but they didn't. I think, I, frankly, I think Warner was able to call plays on his own volition the second half of fifteen. Mm-hmm. And when they had Tunsil back, they had a hell. Of, I mean, they, I mean, now they had talent to go with it, but they had an. I mean, they had a hell of an. They got on a streak offensively where nobody was going to stop them. Mm-hmm. And I think Warner. I think Warner is a solid coach. I mean, Carolina's got a. I mean, seems to have a decent scheme. Got some players to go with it. I mean, can they, I mean, Warner put up thirty-one against uh, Florida this past week. Florida's got, yeah. I mean, yeah. Got I have no problem with it. I think it fits Luke well. I think um, it's somebody he trusts, he's familiar with. I have no issue with that. I mean, I'm. I was trying. I was curious to see doing this pod if I was going to have a really a, a firm reaction to the idea of McGriff coming back. I just think you got to you got to change it up on defense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But the number one thing is how are they going to recruit and how does the signing day shape out? And even if, and frankly, it's not just how does the ranking come out, like what does, I mean, what does development look like for all the players on this team going forward? I mean, frankly, Freeze, Freeze struggled to develop people Here's in a lot a, of ways. You know, I wonder if, uh, if Werner could – could bring Ryan Holinsky, who he has committed at quarterback at, at South Carolina. I don't know. That would be that would be a, a boon for sure. But I have no idea. Um, I know Ole Miss was targeting him at one point. Uh, just something very small that could potentially be worth following. Yeah, I honestly, uh, I'm in wait and see mode on Luke. And like I said, I think he needs to make staff changes, and then he needs to uh, have another encouraging recruiting class 
Um, and then I'll believe that, that maybe on the other side of three years, he can be a viable option. But I don't I, look at Luke and say after so far and say, oh, my God, this is just a I don't think it's a non-starter. And that's why I think you have to make coordinator changes so we can see is are the coordinators being unfairly scapegoated in this situation? I have no idea. I, I think I, I think what you can say for Luke is what you already said. He has the players playing hard. And that's something that a lot of head coaches would not have right now. I do. I think he's a player's coach. I think the guys like him a lot. So you know that you can do something with that, right? You can you can put him in the right situation to win. You would think. Um, really, I just have to say, Bjork has to let him run his program. If Bjork is telling him you can't fire these guys because of contracts, meaning McGriff especially, uh, that's not fair to Luke. And I and I, to me, that would be a strike in Bjork's com- column. If Bjork is this progressive ad that's going to get Ole Miss through all of this and back to being successful like they were five years ago or four years ago um i think he has to give luke the ability to remake the program uh like he sees fit and that's that to me that's this is on bjork as much as it is luke uh if we are to believe that he's the one holding back some of these staff changes potentially i think the one one more thought here is that i mean there there has been this notion that hey Ole Miss is a normal football program the day after the egg bowl i don't fully well let me ask you this how much do the, the fact that there's going to be an interim chancellor do we think that's a handicap at all i wouldn't i wouldn't think so i mean i think the the even though the sanctions are done after the egg bowl the, what you have to remember is that having a full roster is so important and it's going to take years to reestablish depth. Um, and that really is the lasting punishment. Yep. Guys that guys that could have been depth are gone, you know, the transferred out and then other guys that you could have recruited the past two or three years you missed on, whether it was because of scholarship limitations or because the program just wasn't attractive. Um, and that's, that's going to keep hurting Luke for the foreseeable future. So uh, I I don't think the interim chancellor is as big of a deal. I do think it was so important for them to get the unofficial visitor restrictions overturned in the in the appeal um, just for Luke in this class moving forward because that was such a big handicap. I mean, really a ridiculous punishment. I think we've talked about it on the show before, but the fact that the NCAA even tried to impose that was was insane. Yep. Um, I would agree. I want to talk about uh, somewhere where Bjork potentially has done a good job, and that's the basketball program. Yeah, let's talk about basketball. So, they so, to, so, 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 I'll, so I'll let, let me kick off because I because my my t- I have about five seconds worth of commentary. Yeah, I have yeah. to. I checked the score in the first half, and it was thirty-seven to fifteen. Mm-hmm. And my instant reaction was, "Wow, Kermit had these guys focused to come out and play the first game." Mm-hmm. which I have to admit, I mean, it's an incredibly small sample size, is already a noticeable upgrade over AK, who we all love AK, but I swear to God, the, the one of the one of the biggest Andy Kennedy issues that never really got discussed over the, especially the past few years of his tenure, is those teams, it took him too long to figure out how to get his team to play. And they would, and they've, I mean, was it 20, was it 13? The last year he made no... 15 they made the tournament but they lost the opener right yeah or something like chip it or whatever andy andy could not figure out how to get a team just to play through the first five games and win he always would seem like he'd, he'd play with fire or lose a lose games at that point so i give kermit credit for being for knowing how to open a season and yeah. i and i know it sounds it may sound cheesy i'm dead serious i think that is a legitimate 
notice, notable improvement already. Right, and one and, thing you can say for, uh, a- for AK is, obviously, it's probably easier to get guys excited for the first game of a new coach's entire tenure versus, you know, season nine or whatever. But at the same time, yeah, watching the game yesterday, I was very impressed by the attitude of the players. Um, the stuff that Kermit has talked about as being important to him, it definitely came through. They don't hold the ball. They don't dribble. They pass. At one point in the first half, he called a timeout because they were dribbling too much, not passing enough. I like to see that. And then on the defensive side, it was it was very impressive. They, uh, they've kind of picked up his, his defensive-minded philosophy i'd say they seem totally bought in uh you know it's not just the new guys who i will talk about a little bit they were impressive i thought Schuler looked good i thought brian tyree looked good dominic olenicek looks uh much improved i would say um i think a huge part of what i was seeing that we didn't see last season out of these same guys is they had confidence uh terrence davis looked like his old self uh did not have any foul trouble um, was was moving the ball really well, you know, taking it. I, I saw a lot of so one of the big stories of this game was all the turnovers they forced. They had like 15 turnovers forced uh, in the first 12 or so minutes, I want to say, um, and they were creating offense off of those turnovers. Western Michigan like terrible or are they like respectable? What do we do? We know anything about them? I think they're respectable, Wait. but obviously we'll know more in a month or two after they played some more games. Uh, I won't say at this point that they're good. I, I won't say that they're terrible either just because I want to wait and see on that one. Um, but I thought that they looked like they had some athletes. Uh, they had a couple good shooting guards. They had they had a seven-footer down uh, down low going up against like Bruce Stevens, who's significantly shorter than that, etc. Um, but they, they looked outclassed, as they should when you're an SEC team playing a team from the Mid-Atlantic or whatever conference it is. Um, yeah, no. Necessarily in modern basketball, I think there can occasionally be right, but uh, I I, I, I know very impressed. Some new guys that stood out. Number zero, Blake Henson looks to be a very very impressive player. He's six foot seven, but he's got a, a sweet three point shot. I'm really excited to see him develop. KJ Buffin uh, is a little bit bigger guy. He stood out for sure. Let's see, he's uh, six. Oh, he's six seven as well. Not that much bigger, but he's playing forward as opposed to uh, Henson playing guard. Um, he looked good. I'd say the third new guy that stood out was Louis Rod- Rodriguez. Played a lot. Um, don't know a ton about him. He's a he's a kind of a stretch guy as well. And then uh, DC Davis, who only played in five games last year, senior from Mississippi, but he looks like he might actually have a role this season. Uh, made some big shots. And and what do you, what do you love to see out of that ball movement philosophy? Is they're making the extra pass to get the wide open three. Um, and you know, when you're a shooter and you're, you get that open, it's just so much easier to make your shots. So I think that's going to be good for guys like DC Davis, uh, guys like Devonte Schuler, um, to, to have those wide open looks from all the, all the ball movement. I, I was very encouraged by it. Obviously huge test, uh, coming up on Friday at Butler. Um, you know, don't, I don't think you expect them to win that game, but if they go on the road and put a good effort forward, continue playing the game that Kermit wants them to play. Don't give up easy baskets, pass the ball a lot, all that stuff. Um, I think it'll definitely be an encouraging result. And I think they're after the first game uh, coming out and looking so on the same page, so focused, I think they're probably definitely excited to go on the road and play at Butler. Um, You know, I I, I think it's, I think it's a very positive. It's only one game, but uh, I think Kermit is the right guy for the job. Um, we're going to find out. And, and we've talked about in the, in the past that the SEC is maybe better than it's ever been in basketball. Definitely in the last few years, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough road moving forward, but 
if Davis can hold his own with some of these guys, it's it's going to be – you would have to think not just for recruiting, but for him personally, it's going to really raise his profile. He's going he, up. Tom, he beat Tom Izzo in an NCAA tournament game. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if he if, if he can establish – Questions his ability to coach. If you if he can establish uh, Ole Miss in today's SEC against some of the top, top flight coaches that are in the league now, um, you know it'll be it'll be really impressive. So super interested to see uh, the rest of the non conference slate, uh, and then when it gets into SEC play, it should be good. But I think one thing you can say that's a huge positive: the team has an identity. Um, they seem very united right now. They seem focused on doing what Kermit wants them to do, and uh, they have confidence out of all of that. I mean. Tell, giving them that identity, telling them where they should be at all times, what they should be doing, I think that naturally uh, instills confidence in them. So I know I, I think it's it's a good start. We'll see what happens. Uh, but if you if you didn't get a chance to watch, I definitely encourage you to check out this team. I have no idea how it's going to go against Butler. You know, they might be completely outclassed, but um, I, I think it's a fun style of basketball to watch. I, it's 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 kind of just refreshing to see defense in any sport uh, wearing an Ole Miss jersey. It it, it <laughs> feels good. Feels good. I have to say, I think it's brutally obvious after the first basketball game. It's, I mean, AK did a lot of good, but that whole tenure had run its course. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's the best for everybody. I think AK is going to be successful on TV. Everybody's going to like him. Right, I think he'll probably get another coaching job if that's what he wants. And and he wants to. He may not want it. He can kind of. I think everybody can kind of move on. Right, and I and I think and I, I mean just watching not just the way the players played, but also after the game, uh, and the way they the way they were excited and talked about the Kermit Davis era, et cetera. I think they're they're happy with the move as well. So I think you're absolutely right that it was, it was I mean, and credit credit to Bjork because it wasn't necessarily a popular decision. He got a lot of flack for making the change when he did, uh, and right now it's looking like the exact right time to do it. Yeah, I mean. And I, I think that was definitely Ross's hire. It seems I like mean, it, yeah. It, it seems like I don't Matt, think anyone else was. Matt Luke was not Ross's hire for whatever reason. From but. what we've heard, no. Which again doesn't it doesn't inspire confidence, but it, you know maybe you can blame that more on other people like Vitter that are on the way out now than just saying you know the athletic director needs to be able to make these hires. Maybe he will be in the future. I guess is my point. But um, yeah, I, I don't know, Kermit. Kermit Davis could definitely be a feather in uh, in Bjork's cap, and and just another reason why he's he's safe uh, at this moment. So I mean, in in general, in general, the sense I get, just looking at the bigger picture, is it, it seems like I mean, o- Ole Miss needs a dose of people that are familiar with Ole Miss at this point, just to kind of stabilize everything after. I guess so. Well, I mean, that's what Matt Luke is, right? Well, which is what Matt Luke is. Um, they need that. I mean, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll just see where they go from a chancellor standpoint. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um. All right. So those are the main things we wanted to hit on today, guys. Talked about Chancellor Vitter. Talked about another close game that got away from Matt Luke's team. Uh, expectations moving forward. Do we want to talk about Vandy for two minutes? I mean, I think this is a game Ole Miss is definitely capable of losing, just like they could win it. I, I don't really know. I think Vandy Vandy's has struggled. Lost to Mizzou. I mean, it's, it's I, winnable. I think Vandy has more of an identity as a team than Ole Miss does. Is what I'll say in favor of Vandy. I think that game could well, go what either do you way. Think the line going to be. It's in Nashville, right? I would. Ex- hmm. 
I would expect Vandy to be favored uh, by a close margin. Ole Miss has not covered an SEC game yet this year. Hard for me to imagine Vegas is going to make them the favorite in Nashville against a team that plays good defense with Jordan Tamu uh, seemingly hurt. Dawson Knox is out for the first half. Obviously, DK Metcalf's out for the year. Scotty Phillips went out in the AM game, did not return. Questionable uh, as to his ads for the Vanderbilt game. So uh, we're recording this a little bit before the lines are going to come out, um, but I expect Vanderbilt to be favored. I think 0-2 is a very, very, I'd say probably more than 50% likely outcome. 1-1 one one would probably be about 40, 45%. And then there's a very, very slim margin. You can win both games later on the schedule. I think I think, I think State is going – I had thought for most of the year that they would – that I, I like their chances to win the Egg Bowl. Who will miss or State? Ole Miss. Yeah, I thought but, I thought it was possible in Oxford. I thought they did have a good chance, but I think that's pretty much evaporated in recent weeks. Like, like like I said, State has their four losses. They are a good team. They're they're at the at worst, I'd say an eight and four quality team, especially with that yeah, defense and with I'm Fisher with, yeah, the senior. They're 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 damn they're damn good up front on defense. Yeah, they are going. Frankly, they are going to. They're going to force a lot of three and outs. Time of possession yep. is going to get all imbalanced. And I think Ole Miss's Ger- offense is trending down. Fitzgerald is going to be able to run the ball, and yeah. Fitzgerald's going to let payback from last year. I- Moorhead, Moorhead, from an equity standpoint, if he he should beat Arkansas, I mean that should be a gimme, frankly. Yeah. I mean not a gimme, but it's he most likely beats Arkansas. Then he turns around, he beats Ole Miss. He goes eight and four his first season, and he has plenty of fan base. Good wins over Auburn. Yeah. You beat Ole Miss. That ends overall. That, that, that he beat he beat A and M. I mean, he beat Jimbo Fisher in, in his first year. That's pretty good. He beat A and M. He beat. Uh, let's see. He, he beat, beat Auburn. He beat Gus. Yeah. I mean, those are those are good wins. And uh, you lose you lose to Florida by a touchdown. Frankly, he played Alabama pretty well. I yeah. Mean, Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and losing to Kentucky this year is is not any sort of Kentucky. Honestly, Kentucky's had a good year. Now Tennessee went out and got away. I, I'm yeah. Ted, Jeremy J- Pruitt's got that team improving every week. J- Jeremy Pruitt is proving to be a good coach. The question is, is how good a player can, how good of a roster can he recruit to Tennessee? Nobody's been able to build a roster there. Right. I mean, Butch Jones kind of did a little bit smoke and mirrors a couple of years ago, but can uh-huh. he can Pruitt build kind of a sustainable roster that wins you know eight nine games a year i think that's kind of where that program sits Mm. yeah they're not they're not they're not going to be georgia right but i mean is anybody nobody's going to be out nobody's going to touch alabama alabama's got two i mean Mm -hmm. two this is this is probably the best college team i've ever watched i think this is better than the the I think 04 USC is the best team up until this year, and I think it's uh, it's this year's Alabama team. Yeah, they are they're the class of the country for sure. Should cruise to national championship, I would expect. Their defense is finally is now playing at a shutdown level, and Tua's. I mean, you get three NFL receivers and you got Tua on offense, plus like four NFL running backs. So, yeah, forget it. it's it's silly. Absolutely. So. I think um, I think Mason needs the win more in a lot of ways. Luke Luke can go five and seven. Frankly, people Luke could go seven and five. Well, let, let me ask you this. I, I I think I know I know what my answer is. 
What's better for Luke 30 days from now? Go 7-5 and five, but retain McGriff or go 5-7 and seven and change defensive court? Right, and that's really the question. So many people are saying, you know, is it worth it to win any more games if it means keeping the same staff? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a fair question. This, these are all things that are going to be hindsight 2020. And I don't think wins and losses matter at all for what Ole Miss is trying to do in recruiting this year. We'll see. I really, I, have really no, I really have no idea. I think after the season ends, we'll get some more clarity on what they're trying to do with this class. I think during the season, it's kind of been pushed uh, to the side, it seems like, just by the staff trying to just desperately find any win they can. But To get through the year, yeah. yeah. I, I think Ole Miss is going to have enough coaching staff restructuring and we're a clean program that wins and losses. Who cares? They were competitive, and, I mean, if they had beat – they should have beaten Carolina. Yeah. So they should have – I mean, they're – they've been – well, they haven't been great by any stretch, but they've been they moderately – They could be seven and three right now. They really they've could. Been, they've been competitive enough to where you can show recruits that, hey, if you're on this team, you're going to get us over the hump for two or three more wins. Yeah, well, that's why I would love to bring in an exciting defensive coordinator that can go out and tell kids, I'm changing the culture on this defense. You can play as a freshman. Let's go. Let's go do this. Exactly. I, I think you got to go. And that, that to me, is, is so much more important than saving a million dollars on McGriff's contract or whatever. Like, I just – I think you have to make yep. a change there. And the fan base will, will reward you for it. I promise if you change defensive coordinators and bring some enthusiasm, optimism – back to the defensive side of the ball, there will be more people buying season tickets. There will be more people I, at I, the games. I expect ticket sales to actually increase next year. If they, make, if we, they make the move, if they keep McGriff, honestly, I don't know. Well, I think they're flat if they well, – I don't know what they do if they keep McGriff. If they – with Vitter, if they change Vitter and change defensive coordinators, uh, I'll, I'll be frank. I mean, I'm not going to a game this year. If they change coordinators, Vitter's out of there. I have to say that my, my reaction sitting here right now recording this pod is, you know what, kind of 2018 was the take a year off from Ole Miss just because of all the bullshit. It's kind of starting to get out of the way. I think more and more people begin kind of the uh, the, the healing process and start right getting right. back to hay. Yeah, it seems like it. It's it's a good – you go see your family and friends in the Grove. You have a – you just kind of take it from there. Yeah. Well, kind of well old. we've uh, we've given on the roadmap. All Matt Luke needs to do to be successful, listen to this podcast. Same for Ross B. York. It's that simple, guys. We make it easy. Um, you got any this more – This podcast provides a hell of a lot smart, better advice than pretty much any others for these people. That's so, right. That's right. That's what we like to no think. Poli- at least. No, no, poli- no politics here. This is execution-oriented uh, ordeal. Yeah, we'll save that for the – Have you episode. seen the SEC slate for next week? It is so bad. I mean, Missouri-Tennessee is the uh, CBS game. Yeah, week 11. And the only other candidate the was Arkansas State. Like, this yeah, is such a – that's brutal. Although, frankly, if you're – now, it's not going to draw a big number at all, but Missouri-Tennessee is actually an interesting game. Pruitt's trying to get to six. Yep. And Odom is at six and four. I mean, Odom is gonna keep his job, but I mean, if Odom goes on a run at the end of the year, he goes from eh, I don't know, was this guy was this guy gonna keep his job to say hey, he actually ended up having a decent year. And but right. with the truth, he 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 needs to win. Now he's gonna win his last game because it's Arkansas, or he should. I mean, I think Arkansas is that bad. Yeah. We'll see. Um, 
That's it. I think um, anything else, Shea Patterson's going to be uh, presumably beat Indiana next week. We're going to see Shea um, go to Columbus with a – and Ohio State's falling apart. Shea's actually going to get a, a legitimate shot at um, – Copper Championship, yeah. It, uh, yeah, well, beating Ohio State and going to play for a Big Ten title. Which, yep, and, and the playoff. Yep, and the playoff and go get his – I kind of want Shea to go win it because uh, him watching him watching him get his ass beat by Alabama would be entertaining. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. That's and, fr- a great point. and frankly, him and Harbaugh would make it interesting because because that would be, the, that'd be more interesting because the, the whole playoff is going to be boring as hell after yeah, Alabama goes that would be That would be a storyline at least. So – I don't think. I mean, Clemson. Clemson. If every if the stars align, maybe has a chance to beat them. But you're talking about the stars aligning. I, I, I just, think. yeah. I don't, Alabama looks unbeatable this year for sure. I do have to. Let, let me. This, this is. I said this is going to be a 30 minute show. Look at this. We've gone on. I think Dabo's the second best coach in the country, and he's moved ahead of Urban Meyer. Yeah, it seems like Urban uh, kind of waning a little bit. I think career. Urban's about to have some health issues again. Right. Yeah. Yep. What it's feeling like. I have to say, I mean, Dabo made the quarterback change during the season, and I don't know if Lawrence is going to be good enough to get him past two. I don't know if anybody can get you past, is going to get you past two of this year in Alabama, but they have they have gotten to clearly, I think, the second best team in the country with where they've been. How many how many more years has Saban coaching? Um, I felt like he was going to be done a few times a while ago, but this is his best team. He um. I think there's really no end in sight at this point. Because I, I do the think old, that Alabama, the smart money, they want to be able to transition from Saban to Dabo. I just wonder what that timeline looks like if Dabo gets tired of being kept warm for that and, and says, screw it, I'm going to stay here. I don't, I don't think that's anywhere near Dabo's. I mean, what, I mean what, what is a better job than the Clemson job right now? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, con- yeah. the conference is easier than the SEC. Right, but but Dabo went to Bama, right? Yeah, but I, shit. I mean, they can they can who, give him one of those Jimbo contracts, Dab, fifty million Dab, guaranteed. Dabo is smart enough to know that following Saban is just this impossible. I mean, there there is a price to deal with it, but it's. So I don't. Hard. I don't. I don't know. I think I think Dabo is one of the few, very very few guys that could conceivably step in without missing that much of a beat after Saban. I mean, the machine is ready to go. You know, I, and I think so. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily Dabo wanting it, but I think if you're Bama and you're a decision maker there, and your your main interest is keeping it going, Dabo is one of those guys you have to look at and say, "What does it take?" Because he could actually do it. Here's the question with Alabama, and I don't know the program well. I don't know the details well enough to know if this is really, if this is barking up a silly tree or not, but. I mean, Nick Saban told all the good old boys to go stand in the corner when he showed up. It's the only way he'd do the job. Yeah, they're happy. They're happy standing in the corner right now. Well, and they've won. And they've won a ton. But the question is, and this is going to sound stupid, but they here, come back. Have they won enough to where they go when when Saban retires? They say, you know what? We won so damn much that we got our winning in. We want. We want to be. We want to be the boys again, and huh, slash right. we can go hire a guy that gives us access. And our system is so um, steadfast and is so established that 
we don't need that crap anymore. It's kind of ego and the desire to have kind of maybe put their fingers back in the pie, kind of get them to that, um, get them there. I don't know. I'll be honest. Alabama is not interesting at all to me right now. So when whenever Zayman does retire, I think that will be a super interesting storyline to watch. Yep, I think that that's going to be interesting for a lot of people. But I don't think he's anywhere near it. I'm just thinking from his perspective, when would he be interested in um in retiring? And I mean, I think he's well, he's going to coach. Well, let, let let's think about this for a minute. Well, I assume he's paid off all of his outstanding debts, right? Because he went when he went to Alabama, he was in a significant amount of debt from bad business decisions. Assuming that's all behind him, uh, <laughs> I think that would be a big factor. It's true. I'm not making this up. These are this, you can look this up. It's in the news. Yeah, oh, it is. He lost like 50, fifty million dollars on a development in Louisiana. Uh, dumbass. I think that is. Uh, yeah, stay in your uh, lane. If you're a football coach, coach football. Yeah, no shit. Especially if you're Nick Saban, just do that. So. Let's let's see here. My first thought is there's no way he's going to retire after this season because he's got another year or two. Right. But if Saban, if Saban is kind of a schoolman, which I don't see him being at all. I think Saban is Saban, but maybe he surprises and says, "I'm a school guy." Let's think. I, I think the I think somebody inheriting next year's Alabama team is probably like the best way to transition. And and if you're if you're Jimbo, I mean not Jimbo, if you're Dabo, that's that's yep. a very appealing situation. I mean, you're going to transition and you're going to get Tua. Right? I mean, shit, you you and I, I mean, you and I can go sit there, go work 20 hours a week coaching that team. And that would be great too because what if what if part of the buy is a Clemson Alabama game? That would be awesome. Yep. Very fun. Well, who knows? Uh, I mean, probably I mean, He probably so, won't retire for five more years, ten years. Who, who freaking knows? He's going to beat, uh, what's his name, Bill Schneider age, coaching that team. Who knows? Yep. He, if I do think Stanford it, retires at some point. I just don't know when. I don't know what his motivating I, I, I factor see him, is. I, I can know. see him winning next year with Tua back. Oh, yeah. And then, and then him saying, you know what? He'll take it. Enough's enough. He's pushing 70. I'm going to... I've, I've proven what I need to prove. Um, I wonder if there's any kind of PR scan. I mean, I almost wonder if it's some kind of PR scandal that kind of hits them. But but Nick's been able to avoid that. Urban I, I, has think, had a, I think he's so protected in that state from from any negative. Like, he could – Yeah, but, I mean, was anybody more protected than Joe Paterno? Well, I think that's a, that's the difference in a PR scandal and a legal scandal, right? But, yeah, just maybe maybe a scandal, and, I'm, and I don't I'm not saying Nick Saban's covering up. I think I think Saban is more protected than Urban Meyer was with the uh, with his offseason stuff. I don't yep. think Alabama would ever let it get to the level it did. But and it's and it's more than just in the school. We're talking about state law enforcement, state politicians, all that stuff will bend over backwards to cover up any scandal in that state. Yep, fully agree. Um, so I I don't know I. That would be super interesting if there was a scandal big enough to bring down Saban. I just I would have to see it before I, I before it, I believe it. Would it. Ha- it would be amazing. To your point, because I mean, that that is a machine. My, that is the the most well oiled football machine in the country. That it might be the most it's impenetrable just, wall in America. Yeah. Is, is Alabama politics protecting Nick Saban? That, I would, you I, know I, what? I that so, is yeah. a that's a very good point. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, so lots so, of lots of interesting stuff to, in the next few years to watch on that front. 
What's up? Yeah. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe by the time Luke is done getting the pro, you know, getting Ole Miss to, you know, seven and five every year, Saban retires and they can go, who knows, put something together. Yeah, it's not it's not clear at this point what the path forward for long term success for Matt Luke is. But I also don't think that his time is up. I think as you mentioned, there's enough positive to take away for this season for Luke that with the right off season, it can be optimistic going into next year. If Matt if Matt Luke turned into Cutcliffe to maybe a little bit better version of Cutcliffe, I think that's very plausible. Scenario. I think the Ole Miss fan base, after all that they've been through, is so much more willing to accept a Cutcliffe now than when he was, you know, before Orgeron, Nut, and yeah. Freeze. Um, I, I think Ka- modern Kayad, success. You mentioned Kayad earlier. Is Kayad almost a wonder looking back? He's kind, he's kind of the Jerry Jones. He's kind of like Jerry Jones in a sense. Did a hell of a job increasing the value of the university. Uh-huh. Frankly, the worst thing Kayat did was he screwed up a couple of athletics. I mean, yep. he and got I, rid of Pete Boone gets a lot of credit for that as well. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know. I mean, he hired Ed Orgeron 10 years too early, right? <laughs> it looks pretty good right Ed, now. Ed's going to do a good job, not a great job at LSU. <laughs> Arkansas covered against them, huh? Yes, they did controversially i saw well that's it guys no lines of the week this week uh just because of when we're recording it but uh like we talked about in the past you listen to our buddy clay on under the covers he can help you he'll 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 give you way better lines than we ever could so uh check that out um of course you know what to do if you want to support the show you can use our code on my bookie shark 25 you can rate reviews on apple Podcasts, all that stuff uh, LanterTechterDark.com uh, ArmchairAllAmerican.com All that stuff guys That's about it You follow us on Twitter uh, But John Thanks for taking the time man I hope you continue Enjoying Germany How much longer Are you there for This day uh, Another week Another week Alright well back in, uh, back in the US For Thanksgiving So nice. it's Very echoey Now it's funny It sounds like you It's fine It's fine We're done with the show It's fine uh, cool. All right. Well, be safe traveling back. Enjoy the rest of your time. Uh, happy early Thanksgiving. Everybody, have a great week. Um, we will talk to you again later on, presumably after the Vanderbilt game. We'll find a time. Keep an eye on that Ole Miss Butler game on Friday night. I believe it's at 7 p.m. Central. Um, hopefully, it'll be a good one. Keep the momentum rolling a little bit with Kermit. That'd be great. Uh, but for now, thanks for listening, guys. For John, I'm Justin. Talk to you again next week. Sunshine, brighter than the sunshine, 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 brighter than the sunshine, sunshine